Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today I am with Roxana Nassoy, strategist and privacy advocate based in Romania. Hello, Roxana. Thank you very much for joining Interviews today. Hi, Laurent. Thank you for having me. Okay, so as usual, please tell us a little bit about your journey. Wow. <laughs> well, um, that started a long time ago, um, but I will uh, cut the first 20 years and I'll just back <laughs> 11. <laughs> um, um, as, uh, well, I usually, uh, I usually go from when I was 19 um, and I started freelancing. Mm. I was in university my first year um, and I, I started a, a research job, so to speak, of, as part of a research team. And I also started freelancing online because I liked the idea of earning some money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I knew from my uh, brother's friends who were developers, I knew about the freelancing platforms and that you could uh, just uh, set up an account and uh, connect with clients worldwide. And um, I built my business from there, basically. So along the years, I gathered contacts, um, other freelancers that I worked with. So we created agencies, small boutique, agency boutiques, Um, mostly in marketing and design. Then um, I, uh, I took it a step further. I became the country representative for a platform called Elance <laughs> back in 2012 mm-hmm. um, and I stayed with them for six years they rebranded into Upwork um, and I trained uh, and grew the Romanian community to 30,000 members and trained about 6,000 with these two hands <laughs> um, and then I think I told you the last time, but then I made a, a massive switch in 2017, which was to switch from consulting and service-based businesses into actually building products. So mm. I met my um, my partners, uh, Ben and Michael, um, for the e-health startup that we have. And we started um, you know, working together and building the product uh, full ecosystem and then I gradually even moved with strategy and consulting work into building actual products. I know that you were a freelancer and then you launched a business. You big. Mm-hmm. So you were like, you went from solo pruner to being actually a, a multiple pruner, whatever you call that. What were the triggers and what are the differences between both? Wow. Uh, well, it's totally different when you're when you offer a service because uh, you basically generate revenue from day one, you could do that. Mm. If you have the contacts um, or if you network accordingly, you can build your contacts in a way uh, in which you generate revenue from day one. 
and you don't have to worry too much about you know testing your services uh, understanding the market too much but when you're building an actual product you go through different phases so you go through you know um, research and understanding the market what are the needs what's being covered what isn't covered what you could do getting the team together trusting having a core team that is with you that is very very important um, having business partners that are trustworthy and uh, you know they have uh, complementary skills as they call mm. them and you can together your force um, separately you're not basically separately you're very good in your own area but together you man- you manage to cover all the important aspects and then obviously you have to build a product test it perfect it get it on the market understand the differences between local markets and international markets so it's a whole different story whereas when you're a consultant or a service-based company you're you're a bit on the outside you're not that involved into producing the actual building the actual product but more involved into helping companies that build the product into selling or marketing the product to an international audience Mm. you know helping them with the strategy it's like uh, putting the the pieces on a chest of table uh, on a on a uh, chest table um, and then versus building the actual chest set and the pieces. So I would say if you're a product based company, you build the actual chess board and the pieces. Whereas if you're a service based company, you just help move the pieces on the table mm. on the board. And so, why did you make the switch? You know, what were the triggers? Well, obviously, I was at a point where um, I spent a lot of years building my, my brand and building um, this network that I have, which was great. But the lifestyle that I built turned against me, especially mm. on the health side. And... I was stressing myself too much and I figured maybe it is time to do something more meaningful because when you're just offering services, there's a, a limit to how much you're involved in the actual product roadmap. Whereas if you're building it, obviously you're involved from its inception until maturity. Um, so I, I wanted to make more of a difference. Um, I have a type 1 diabetes, so I also wanted to build something in, in the healthcare space, mm. and, uh, potentially help people with chronic diseases. And yeah, uh, mostly just wanted a change. And obviously, I do believe that we need to create continuity in the skills we develop. So anything that I have done in my 20s, I can still use in my 30s without a problem. It's been helping me become a better mm. entrepreneur, a better leader. Um, but I can use, I can be in, in more power now, knowing I have all these skills and, and tools that I can use and mm. put them to better use. Yeah. Would you say that you have, uh, now you have a better sense of uh, purpose than you used to have? Mm, I think. I have more clarity 
Mm. Um, which before felt like I did not have because obviously in my 20s I was experimenting a lot with different industries and trying to find which uh, which which industry makes me get out of bed every morning and say hell yeah <laughs> um, but yeah I think what I gained is I gained clarity I gained experience I'm much calmer now and I make better decisions than a couple of years ago Okay. Well, that's interesting because you mentioned earlier that you were, you used to be stressed, but I've checked, I've checked your profile and I, it's, you look like a very busy woman. You know, you run a business. You're also the chief strategy officer for another company. You're active in several associations. You defend, I know you defend the women's rights a lot. I mean, how do you cope with all those responsibilities? Time management, better time management. <laughs> I think it's important to know. So here's what I found out. Over the years, I've learned that um, I have hours in which I perform better in my mm. work. For example, I'm a morning person. So obviously, I will never do the most important work or um, the most important tasks for the day in the morning. I will do them in the afternoon because right around this time, I'm very, very active and I can work super efficiently. Then I'm trying to structure my time and understand per month the hours I'm putting into every project or every initiative. And they do, they do have a connection with one another because, for example, um, the work I do as a CSO for, for Tagian, for this um, uh, open banking protocol is relevant because at some point I may want to implement that into my e-health business when I build a social media platform for patients. Right. So I want to have like a, my own economy there to reward them for their participation. Um, having, you know, being involved with women's associations helps me connect with other female entrepreneurs and women who have gone through the same struggles to you know pitch their products deal with the male investors uh, in uh, you know asia or the us and i think altogether they they go really well so i don't feel like i'm really working on very different projects or very different initiatives because they they combine uh, quite well mm. okay so I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, being a woman entrepreneur, because this is not a topic that uh, I have uh, talked about a lot in my, uh, in my podcast so far. And I know it's an important topic for you. And, I've been, and I've, I'm trying to talk to more and more uh, female entrepreneurs myself. And I've never realized that, well, I mean, I knew, I knew about it a little bit, but not that it went that deep, that the, the dynamic between a male and a female entrepreneur can be significantly different. So can you tell us a bit more, you know, what sort of, for example, what sort of expectations and struggles do you face as a female entrepreneur? Well, um, there are a couple of challenges. One is you want to be seen not for who you are as a an individual based on gender, mm. but you know um, who 
who you are as a business person. So sometimes you have to put a barrier between you and you as a woman versus um, a male investor, for example, because they might have expectations. Um, in Asia, for example, they will expect you to be super friendly and open to do certain things mm -hmm. um, that I don't consider ethical and I don't consider um, them to be relevant as part of a business deal. Um, sometimes you have to clearly define, you know, um, for example, where an engagement ring, if you have one. Whereas some people say that you should never really um, mention your personal relationships in your interactions. As a woman. You know, don't, uh, as a woman, because it's better that they don't know. It's better to keep it a secret. Mm. Um, and I think that is wrong because, well, if you're, in a relationship or engaged or you have a you know a family if you're a mom for example i have friends that never disclose the fact that they have a child or that they are actually moms really um, because because of the heavy judgment yeah and i noticed a lot of the conferences they don't really have um a room for for children if the parents speak at the conference they don't have um, child assistance while they do the talk or the networking and they don't have a, a room for children there are very few conferences around the world that offer that so these are things that you notice and I don't think they're okay and for some reason nobody really talks about that mm. or the fact that um, you end up being the one woman among 10 other uh, male pitchers pitching their products or that uh, you'll be asked a different set of questions compared to the other participants or that you are perceived softer just because you have a soft voice mm. or you're warm and you don't want to insist on, let's say, technological information, which is irrelevant when you're presenting a, a product for what it can do. It's like uh, having an engineer telling you, you know, how they build Tesla. You don't care how Tesla was built. You just care about what Tesla does mm. and what makes it different from other cars, right? So it's the same with us. You don't want to explain what the project has internally, the type of technology, but you want to explain how is it different and how can it actually help the consumers. So you get asked different questions. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. And through, through your involvement with uh, all these uh, you know, women's associations that you're part of, what are you, what are you, what are you, you as you, you as the, the woman in general, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I'm trying to encourage women to build more products and companies because I noticed there are a lot of women that are in the services area, but not the product area the product mm. roadmap and i think they you know i think they would do great i notice a lot of women are afraid of becoming entrepreneurs 
and well they could make amazing leaders because they have the skills mm. they have the leadership skills and they have the dedication and the attention required um and they're more you know they're more committed in in some ways the the let's say the pressure is higher because all eyes are on you and you're a female ceo and founder mm. And I want them to be able to get access to funding and investors that don't judge based on gender, but based on uh, skill set and you know the actual product that's being built, and know that they have a network or a community that supports them and can uh, can help them because I think I think uh, you can't build technology without community backing it up. I, I relate to what to what you're saying. When I when I was used to live in Asia, I could see the pressure that women who decided to work, the the pressure they would get from their family, because most of the time their family would consider that you know going to work was not their place. Their place should be at home, you know, cooking or cleaning the house or what whatever else uh, you know it's they are supposed they're supposed to be doing. And as 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 a man, you don't necessarily understand understand uh, how deep this can this this can go. You know, so I'm very happy to talk to more and more women like you and see what you're, what is it that you're trying to achieve because well it makes me more uh, self-aware and I believe and I believe if more men are more become more aware like like me, then we can help you achieve what you want. I agree. And I think to your point, there are a lot of um, uh, different angles to view this, but I think women can do both, um, can ex excel in both uh, being entrepreneurs and raising a family. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. What are you the, the most proud of? Hmm. That's a good question. There are a lot of things that I'm proud of. Um, I'm trying to stay modest because I think, you know, it's better to let the deed speak for yourself. Mm. But I think I have come a long way and I really started from zero. I did not have financial support or I did not have a network when I started. I was on my own. But I have an amazing family and they have always supported me into my decisions and for some reason they trust me they they trust my uh, my vision so that meant that i was not forced to you know go to a technical college university just because that would pay better but i could just choose uh, to do something that i was passionate about and when i told my parents that i kind of um, i'm starting freelancing and i kind of want to build a business from there they didn't say, oh, go get a job. Mm. You know? <laughs> um, and this, just to explain to you how awkward it was to, to freelance in 2008, I had people asking me if by working online, um, I'm doing video chat in the sense of talking to male customers. Really? Performing. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you have to understand <laughs> that was the mindset then. 
12 years later, now everybody loves working from home and freelancing and, you know, having the freelance lifestyle. And that's perfectly fine. But 12 years ago, it was very uncommon for someone to work remotely um, and, you know, have clients all around the world. Sorry, we're talking about Romania, which is a country in the middle of Europe. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's, and, and we have, we are one of the best outsourcing countries for IT, for example. Right. Okay. So you'd expect, you would expect to have, uh, you know, a different mindset here. Um, and in some cities you do, but in some cities and smaller uh, towns, you don't. So I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that I, I built my, myself professionally from scratch. I tried everything that I wanted to try. I earned my money and I gave myself the gift of traveling the world, uh, also for my business, but also for myself. And I made several contributions. You know, I gave back to the freelancing community for six years, uh, teaching people how to, to build their, uh, their business, how to build their profile, how to deliver quality services, how to um, under-promise and over-deliver and so on. So I'm very proud of that. Nice. So what are the key lessons or some of the key lessons that you have learned along the way? The reset button. <laughs> reset button. <laughs> is one lesson that I learned. It's very important offer yourself a reset. If you feel it's too much, um, if you feel that things are, you know, like building a lifestyle that turns against you, reset mm. that. Don't stay in, in that lifestyle because eventually your, your health will have to summer, uh, suffer. Sorry. Um, build, um, build things that make you proud of who you are, uh, that are that help you retain your principles along the years. I think my principles in terms of, of ethics and values have not changed that much from when I started compared to now. I don't think money changed me um, in the worst description ever. I think it made me more aware of you know, how much I value my time and whether I'm willing to choose to dedicate that time into a project or dedicated into painting or doing something that that makes me happy um i've learned that sleeping and exercising are very important and doing things for yourself taking care like taking good care of yourself independent mm. if you are with someone or by yourself i think that's that's something a lot of people put on a you know on a second uh basis or just a step aside from their lives. Mm. So, so if I understand you well, I think you're saying that we should uh, work to live and not live to work because yes. there, are more, there are more important things than, it, than work, like life, for example. Exactly. I think workaholism is a disease. Mm. I understand that you want to do things, you have a lot of energy and passion to put into different things, but there should be a limit. If you can't manage to have at least mm, 10 hours for yourself during the day, 
Mm. And that's pretty sad. And you will end up, for example, I don't support the narrative from a Gary V. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Mm-hmm. I think that's not the way to do things. Because at the end of the day, do you need to be a freaking millionaire or billionaire? Or do you want to have quality relationships in your life? Do you want to spend time with your family? You know, there's research showing that by the time we're in our 20s, we end up spending less than 5% of our time with our families. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad because, well, let's say you reach your 30s, but your parents might be gone by the end of your 30s. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of wonder, what did I do with my time? I, you have all these regrets, you know? So I think um, keeping in mind the things that really matter to you so that you don't, have, you don't end up having regrets and having that uh, 40s uh, crisis. <laughs> <Life crisis. laughs> well, you're, not, you're not there yet. You never know, you'll see. <laughs> Uh, what's the big dream then? What do you want to, what do you want to achieve? Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. What trace would you like to leave in the world? Well, you know, if something happens to me one day, um, I know that I will have no regrets because I'm already living the best life that I can provide for myself. Um, and I have given myself experiences. I have not pushed myself to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to stop doing this entirely and try something completely new. And I've managed to continue my work and, and my, um, my path in life. I think most importantly, I want people to, to look and think she was not a itch <laughs> I mean you know I, I don't understand being super rude or or very unkind to people for for no good reason just because you can so mm-hmm. I think kind, kindness is important um, being true to myself and if I can deliver some sort of improvement to the world fine um, obviously I'm trying to do that with projects I work on but if that doesn't happen, you know, I'm not the savior of the world. So it's not just my responsibility to improve the world. It's a collective responsibility. And if our generation can do that, fine. If not, maybe we can at least empower and set examples for younger generations. Um, and maybe, you know, create a less biased world so they have better better chances, more chances to, to get themselves out there. Words of wisdom. Doing my best. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite question. If you had known everything, you know, now, what would you have done differently? I don't think I would change anything. Oh, wow. You're the first one saying that. Really? <laughs> because I think, you know, life is, is a book um, and you're just writing the pages and it keeps adding up until you create the story, which mm-hmm. is your story. I actually wrote a letter to myself 
before I graduated university 10 years ago. And I, I wrote to myself that knowledge is power. So I've been doing my best to make sure that I never, I'm never uh, stagnating in terms of knowledge and I'm always learning something new. And would that be the, the one recommendation you give to entrepreneurs yeah. out there? Yeah. Keep on learning. Be, be an open book. Mm. So talking about books, what books would you recommend? Mm, there are a lot of books. Um, I'm starting not to be a big fan of, of business books, but more into, um, you know, stories and novels. And I'm a big fan. There's a, there's a book called Metro 2033. Mm -hmm. That is a story that's happening inside the Moscow Metro after a nuclear disaster. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's, it's so well written that they made several games after it. So that's, you know, it's, it's a really good book of our century. Um, obviously, I like uh, reading uh, philosophers. Mm -hmm. Because I think for some reason they have this evergreen advice that applies to everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love going back to the old books and, and reading it. Um, I have been reading some, some business books as well. Um, you know, the, the classic ones. Um, but I'm, I, I stopped reading business books because I think you can learn more from listening to podcasts and um, reading blogs of, of people who take a step back and tell you their journey than um, reading books about uh, 10 tips on how to succeed in your business. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then the last question, how can people contact you? Well, um, I am a privacy advocate, but I am also online. So <laughs> as we say, I am sufficiently online. I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, uh, LinkedIn most of the time. And you can just uh, DuckDuckGo, my full name. <laughs> Not Google, but DuckDuckGo. You can just search for my full name um, and you'll get plenty of options to contact me. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Roxana. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guests or for myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, send an email to contact at laurentnotin.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.